0: From the Mercy One Studio, Making It Personal with Bishop William
1: Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Good morning, this is Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson, and I am not Kelly Mesher Collins, so we are praying for Kelly and her family today, as she's going to be with them as her father Paul is in pretty serious health condition up there in the Carroll area, and so we pray for him and his situation and God's uh, Blessing and and comfort be with them as whatever God's will unfolds. So probably a little bit less laughter today on the show, but uh, we'll do about, we'll do our best and. Uh you know, the, the corniness uh, factor may go up even more. I'm here in the studio at Iowa Catholic Radio with assistant uh, station manager Jeremy Olsen and uh, station manager deacon Tony Valdez and be assured they're behind a, pla- a plate uh, glass uh, wall uh, that uh, makes High V look like uh, small time stuff here you know, like the Hobbits or something. This is this is a barrier not to be uh, transgressed. So uh, they're protected from me and I'm protected from them as well. So uh, on this day, this 15th day of May, the I of May, perhaps. Uh, we think about the St. Isidore uh, on this day, uh, Isidore of Madrid, not Isidore of Seville. And so as a layman and a farmer, one who uh, we think about his uh, you know, involvement and workers' rights, his care for people in that way, and also then his his wife, uh, Maria de la Cabeza, who was later canonized as well. So St. Isidore in the 12th century, but canonized in pretty uh, auspicious company in the 17th century with Ignatius of Loyola, Teresa of Avila, Francis Xavier, and Philip Neri, some obscure saints like that. So you know, Isidore probably uh, wouldn't mind humbly de- deferring to those others, but uh, miraculously said to uh, have been uh, so devoted that even his plow would kind of make its way in the field on its own. I, I don't know if that's kind of like our our farmers today, that the John Deere tractors and their sophisticated software and everything that can basically uh, you know drive the the tractor itself while they watch Netflix or something in the cab or you know in their air conditioned cab. So farmers, please don't uh, write me and and. Uh, uh, beyond that way, but uh, his wife canonized later date, uh, Maria de la Cabeza. We know who was head of the household there. No pun intended, de la Cabeza. But uh, in that way, and uh, Deacon Tony Valdez. You know, I don't know who's the head of your household, Eileen Valdez, working yeah. at HR at HR at the, the diocese. I was at a meeting yesterday late in the afternoon with Eileen Valdez, and uh, she got a text as this bad storm was rolling through Polk County, and uh, she says, "Oh, my old woman of a husband." Is is looking after me he's telling me to be careful on my way home so uh, whether you shave your legs or not Deacon Tony uh, you, know, you know that's probably better in spin class they, they like that don't, don't they in that way so uh, also the death anniversary of father Edward Flanagan so our friends in the spirit Catholic radio in the Omaha area uh, father Flanagan servant of God boys town fame and that legacy continues he died in 1948 I always thought when I was in studies in Washington DC uh, heading through uh Down to Catholic University of America on Eastern Avenue, the Boys Town site there. And uh, I actually lived in residence with a priest, Monsignor Joseph Ariano. May he rest in peace, former Air Force chaplain. Who uh, devoted the latter phase of his priestly ministry to the the, the community there at Boystown in Northeast Washington? So, um, Isidore, I think, it makes us very conscious of, of workers' rights and uh, our concern for those who are in any way on the front lines, including not only healthcare professionals, those who are in retail grocery stores or the supply chain. But those who, uh, you know, and uh, our meatpacking plants and, and those uh, who must labor under conditions, many of whom are immigrants, uh, perhaps Spanish speaking in that way. And so uh, in mid April, some of the Iowa bishops, including myself, uh, signed on with the American Friends Service Committee and the Iowa Immigrants' Rights Committee, just encouraging Governor Reynolds to be all the more mindful of our immigrant uh, brothers and sisters, that their labor conditions and their, their formation and awareness of the things that would be safe work place procedures, and so that they, if they should fall sick, have access to medical care, emergency assistance, Regardless of their health insurance cover or immigration status, so uh, we look forward today to having as our special guests uh, Dr. Stephen Nowak of Mercy One Urgent Care in Angandy and Andrew Santos, Senior Vice President of Mission Integration at C H I Health, serving Southwest Iowa and Nebraska. So our guests uh, coming up in just a moment, and uh, we hope he'll hang with us, even though. It's only me today folks so you got to dance with what you got all right thank you very much Impoverished children break everyone's heart, but poverty seems like such a big
2: problem. What can one person do to make a difference? For 17 years, Blessman International's passion has been to connect the resources of our donors with sustainable programs that impact the lives of impoverished children in South Africa. Our donors are feeding thousands of hungry children every week, providing basic water and sanitation for impoverished communities, and sharing the love of God in practical ways every day. Go to www.blessmaninternational.org and make your donation today.
1: Welcome back. This is Bishop William Johnson. I'm making it personal with Bishop Johnson. We're pleased to welcome Dr. Stephen Nowak of Mercy One Urgent Care in Ankeny, and also with us, Andrew, Andrew Santos, Senior Vice President of Mission Integration at CH, CHI Health, serving Southwest Iowa and Nebraska. So, right close to our Spirit Catholic Radio friends in Western Iowa and Nebraska. So, welcome to both of you. Thank you amidst all that's going on, of carving out some time for us this morning. Good, good morning.
3: Thank you. Happy to be here, Bishop.
1: Yeah. So, uh, thank you, and uh, Mr. Santos, we've met before. We had a, an encounter just as all everything was kind of breaking in, uh, in March, April. I'm trying to remember that date that I went. I was uh, your guest over at the CHI uh, Commission Headquarters there, uh, and that, and Dr. Nowak. We have not met, but uh, you're at Mercy One Urgent Care, and uh, sure. your practice there is is which uh, are you medicine, uh, family medicine, or another? I-
0: I I did family medicine for 29 years. I recently transitioned to the, uh, doing full time urgent care there, so uh, that's uh, currently what I'm doing.
1: So is that kind of a hybrid between emergency medicine and and uh, you know general you know intern internal medicine, or how would you describe it? Well,
0: that? that's what, what we like to call it as ER uh, emergency room light. Uh, <laughs> we, we can do the <laughs> we do stuff that's certainly very uh, emergent and and walk in. Um, and kind of keeps the burden of things that are maybe not quite as seriously out of the emergency room, or things obviously get a little bit more congested.
1: Mm-hmm. And could you describe maybe the last six to eight weeks? Did you see trends where certain kinds of uh, people presenting in, in different ways? That some were dropping off, or other things were increasing, or you know, I, I know that, you know a lot of elective things were falling off, but for urgent care, uh, was it a pretty steady stream, or how did that go?
0: Well, they, uh, we were trying to, in the process of trying to mitigate those things, we had people calling ahead, and actually a, a funny thing happens when you tell people don't come to the doctor without calling in the, the cases that tended to drop off. At Mercy, we've tried to consolidate uh, the most sick patients toward what we call a fever clinic, uh, which allows us to uh, make the best use of our personal protective gear as well as at the time Um Uh, concentrate the few testing kits that we had into a single place and, again, make the most efficient use of those, Mm -hmm. uh, which also limited the spread to, uh, you know, know, uh, uh, healthcare workers in the outlying clinics.
1: Okay. All right. And do you feel that you're in a place where you're well-supplied now, or uh, is that still an issue where you have to be kind of good stewards of the equipment? Obviously, you'd want to do that anyway, but, uh, you know, is it a concern that uh, healthcare workers wouldn't have the, the equipment they need?
0: Well, at this point, Iowa, I think our leadership has done such a great job of, uh, again, flattening the curve, as people say. Um, And uh, our our administration has done a great job of getting us the equipment we need. Uh, People have gotten uh, tested for these N95 masks, and um, at this point, I don't think we have a shortage. We've, uh, We've certainly been given the equipment we need, and I think most of our employees are safe.
1: Okay. Well, that's reassuring for you because certainly the the risk and your vocational calling uh, to be on the front line in, in this particular way. Mr. Andrew Santos, uh, thank you for being with us Uh, again. I was privileged to kind of have a glimpse into your command center there as things were just beginning to uh, break loose in the Midwest. In that way, can you describe kind of how uh, that did that become a place of of frantic activity, or how you know have uh, things been weathered by the CHI team, and and uh, have you can you note any trends there?
3: Yes, no, thank you, Bishop. In fact, we remember very well your visit here, and it meant a lot. You recorded a video for our healthcare workers and came up and extended a blessing to our division incident command team, and uh, both of those made a, a great impact on the folks that were here, and so, you know, thank you for that. You're and, yeah, welcome. we created this whole incident command structure, basically, to kind of deal with the day-to-day barrage of uh, protocols and procedures that had to be adapted and changed and related related to COVID, of course. Um, and so um, it meant a great deal when you came. So thank you for that.
1: You're welcome. You're welcome. No, it was a privilege. And uh, and so uh, did uh, you know the, the incidence rate, the contagion? Has it kind of f- fulfilled what the expectations were, what the projections were on the public health side, or how is it, how are you seeing things in Omaha and uh, that region of western Iowa?
3: Yes. You know, we've been working very closely, of course, with state and other healthcare partners. And with our incident command structure, um, because we have such a a large footprint, if you will, around Nebraska and southwest Iowa, one of the things that we've been able to do is uh, exchange and share resources across the division. So if there is a particular hot spot in one area like we had in Grand Island, certainly, for quite a while, we were able to kind of focus our resources there. And then as the outbreak might move to other areas of Nebraska, Omaha, for example, we're able to kind of shift resources there that's kind of one of the blessings of being part of, of kind of a large division and really part of a large national system um, in which we're able to kind of share resources amongst us. And so we've been able to kind of mitigate, really, in some ways, the, the, the need for PPE, uh, the need for staff allocation, and so forth. And so we've been able to, I think, respond um, uh, to, to the need as it kind of uh, emerged.
1: Okay. Okay. And so, obviously, very data-driven and, and you know, following the science and, and what the, the latest and the medical projections are, and epidemiology and everything. But as a mission officer, what kind of lens do you have on all of this? And what are things that you kind of try to hold up before your team and uh, you know the culture for CHI?
3: Yes. No, that's a great question, Bishop. Because as a faith-based uh, healthcare system, as a ministry of the church. One of the things that are very important to us is to not only care, obviously, for the physical needs of our patients, but also to care very much so for their emotional and their spiritual needs. And so we work very closely, obviously, with your office and and the different uh, bishops of the dioceses to which we serve to create protocols that would still, for example, allow clergy priests to be able to come in to administer the sacraments, to be able to visit their, their parishioners and their people who might be in spiritual need. Um, we still have our paid staff chaplains who are able to visit all of our patients. So we take all the necessary steps to preserve PPE, to mitigate any uh, spread of disease, but we still want to make sure that we, in a very real way, minister to those spiritual needs. And so we spend a lot of time training and working with both our chaplains and our local clergy to make sure that those services can still continue, which has been very important not only for our patients, but also in a very real way, Bishop, for our staff. I mean, our staff who are there day in and day out, uh, in the midst of, of disease, trying to care for our patients, you know, their level of fatigue and, and, and their level of resiliency is also very important to us. And they have found that our chaplains and our clergy are as much of a support to them mm-hmm. uh, as to our patients. And so this is when really being part of a faith-based ministry allows us to help because we're able to, to call upon prayer, to call upon God. Uh, to identify with the season we were in at the time, Lent, Holy Week, and Easter, which really gives meaning, I think, and encouragement and support uh, during particular times of stress for both patients and staff.
1: Okay. I mean, with your staff and uh, Dr. Nowak, feel free to weigh in as well. I mean... That uh, particularly, I guess, in the hospital setting, maybe more than in the urgent care. But uh, for some, you know, maybe some of the the staff are uh, veterans of the military services or something. Maybe some have been in uh, armed conflict and things. But for many, was this the the kind of most vivid and and frequent encounter with death in the in the clinical setting that they'd had to deal with? I mean, certainly, you know, they're they're accustomed to, to working with that, and they're conscious of. The, the kind of horizon of mortality but was it just much more intense for, for everybody
0: I, I think as you say this, uh, this this definitely takes it to a new level certainly in urgent care we get a lot of uh, cute things that come in but uh, uh, again the um, this is certainly stepped things up a little bit and um, I think even as uh, physician leaders and providers in the clinic you know it's it, it's very helpful for us to be able to uh, as they say have something faith-based ba- faith uh, in what we do every day to convey that level of uh, confidence and spirituality to uh, bring that to our, our, our coworkers uh, who are facing this every day, as well as the patients that uh, uh, come in, and uh, we can convey that confidence to them and make things a little bit more comfortable for them.
1: Mm-hmm i mean i had just uh, such a respect and appreciation that you know not the you know, the healthcare professionals are, are trying to impose faith or in any way kind of uh, kind of be uh quasi chaplains if you will but this that they reverence that there is a spiritual dimension to us as human beings that we have souls and that uh, you know our our uh, ultimate uh, gaze is being you know this world but that this world is participating in something even greater so uh Grateful for for that. Uh, Very ecumenical setting, I would imagine, for both of you, uh, people of different faiths, uh, not only Christian, but uh, other faiths uh, supported as well. Yes, Yes, very much so. Why don't we go with uh, Mr. Santos, Andrew, first.
3: Sure, no, thank you, Bishop. Yeah, very much so. We try to have a very diverse chaplain team of a variety of different faith traditions, And oftentimes if um, one of our chaplains doesn't have the same faith as a patient, we still minister to that person or we help them be able to get in contact with their uh, respective clergy person. And so that's one of the, I think, blessings is that no matter what your faith belief system is, if any, um, we're able to kind of meet your spiritual needs um, in, in a very
1: personal way hmm Dr. Nowak, I'm sorry I cut you off there. <laughs> no, that's all right.
0: <laughs> yeah, certainly in the urgent care setting. Uh, uh mercy being I mean, we we will see anybody and, and certainly make no discrimination about uh religion at all. So we tend not to bring it up quite so much because we don't want people to feel like uh, you know, if they're if they're not Catholic they're going to be excluded and uh we certainly don't want to convey that message. we we try to be very
1: mm-hmm. uh supportive of that. So mm-hmm. To be Catholic with a small C, very universal yeah. and open to all people <laughs> yeah. in that way. Uh, you know, uh, you know, mentioning that yes, uh, the PPEs there, uh, chaplains are able, and outside clergy as well. But was there a, a kind of critical period where, kind of, getting our, our our skills, our minds wrapped around all this, that there was isolation and separation, and and was that something that? Uh, we kind of had to pass over or pass through that uh, people were not able to to be tended to by the by the pastoral care team as, as they once were.
3: Well, there's also, Bishop, um, in addition to being able to minister to people in need in person, we also have developed a lot of innovative ways to be able to extend that pastoral care through technology, for example, um, as well as through the actual caregivers. As, as the doctor mentioned, some of our docs and nurses are very comfortable when invited or when asked, Uh, to offer prayer, to hold a patient's hand, um, they're able to do that, not just that formal chaplain. Uh, But then also, even with our chaplain crew, as as well as our clinical team, um, we have a variety of means through iPads, through personal cell phones, other devices, in which we're able to connect that patient sometimes with their family, if their family wasn't able to visit them, with their local clergy person, with the chaplain on, on staff. And so we're able to through new and innovative means, also be able to still kind of handle and manage the emotional and spiritual needs of those patients.
1: Oh, that's, that's tremendous. That's beautiful. So, and, you know, and, uh, of course, the... Uh the trajectory we always hope is that direct personal presence—you know, that the, uh, an incarnate God—could be present. But how technology has kind of extended that, even as it's not a, a surrogate for that uh, premium of just simply being with in that uh, in most immediate way and personal way. Uh, Dr. Nowak, just to kind of shift again to kind of the, kind of the clinical side of things. I mean, I, I understand most all hospitals and clinics are all automatically testing everybody. The uh, Great uh, kind of asymptomatic uh, nature of this. Is that kind of uh, for, at the forefront of your uh, consciousness as somebody presents to you, or is and how does this kind of inform how you, uh, you know, you uh, tr- trace and, and interact with them and diagnostics and other things?
0: Well, again, at this point, we're, we're trying to uh, funnel the patients that we really think are um, uh, uh, affected or certainly have a history of. Uh, that raises some concern for whether or not they actually have the disease to our fever clinics where we've, we've been concentrating those tests um, to, uh, again, maximize our, our efficiency to get that testing done. At this point, we're still uh, having to be fairly restrictive of who can actually be tested. And I, I think that's certainly consistent with what we're seeing in Iowa as far as this test Iowa program. You, know, you, you can't just walk in and get tested. You have to call ahead to get tested. Mm-hmm. Um, as we still just don't have quite enough testing that we can just test all three and a half million Iowans and, and uh, all the people in Nebraska just which as we might like to do. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So, again, we're, we're trying to focus our attention to make the best use of the equipment tools we have available.
1: Mm-hmm. So, would you estimate that you know, most of the people who contract uh, the coronavirus and that does develop the COVID nineteen uh, uh, disease uh, set uh, that they're going to be tended to mainly at home, uh, unless the the symptoms become worse, or is it almost kind of an automatic ticket to be admitted to a hospital?
0: Well, no, I think if you test positive again, there's some certain criteria. I mean, if you get tested and you're also running a fever, and at this point. Uh, we certainly have the technology to test people's level of oxygenation. And if it really looks like some of those people are getting into trouble from a respiratory standpoint, they're certainly uh, redirected to the hospital where they can get um, the care that we, at this point, we certainly have available uh, and certainly at Mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but a majority of the patients are, are going to be. Uh, uh, cared for at home, especially if we test more people than a lot of these people that are showing up that are completely asymptomatic but have a history of potential exposure. I think the majority of those people are being sent home uh, with, uh, you know, certainly uh, a quarantine stay-at-home um, uh, orders in place, uh, maintaining their fluids and really supportive care uh, to isolate and keep themselves hydrated. And if they get into trouble, certainly we reevaluate them.
1: Okay. Okay. So uh, if I might uh, impose on you or make a, a friendly request, uh, my uh, co-host Kelly Mesher collins is not with us today as her own dad's in health care. Would you be willing to remain with me for five more minutes today, both of you? be happy sure. to. Thank you very much. Glad to. We'll be right back then. Thank you. This Thank is you. Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. And we're back. I'm making a personal with Bishop Johnson. Pomp and circumstance, Elgars. Uh, lots of different graduations this year. Some are going virtual. Some are kind of being a uh, one-on-one personal graduation. So you know that's a great sacrifice for our young people at these kind of benchmark moments. Uh, Doctor Nowak, we're here of Mercy One Urgent Care in Ankeny and Andrew Santos, Senior Vice President. Thanks for hanging with me for a few more minutes here. Uh, and uh, just would say, uh, Doctor Nowak, uh, you know, on, on a personal level for you, uh, the impact. I mean, how has this influenced your relationship with your family? Can you be present to them in the same way, or do you have to be more cautious? And I understand you have a a daughter who's on the East Coast as well.
0: Yes, that's right. My daughter's uh, currently living in New Jersey, and they've had some strong leadership there, of course, in in an area that has uh, been hit much harder than Iowa has. Um, But uh, I've had had to trust God to take care of her since I'm so far away and can't visit, and I'm not tech-savvy enough to uh, FaceTime and those kinds of things. But I've been in touch with her, and she certainly, she certainly sounds very good. Um,
1: you don't have any and, grandchildren uh, who can school you on this? stuff. No,
0: no yeah, I no, I don't have grandchildren. And I have to do this on, all on my own. Surely a nurse would help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Young, younger, younger kids, younger nurses right out of training—they can help with that. So.
1: Yeah, so Yeah,
0: but uh, God's certainly been watching over her, and and um, I've been. Uh, my trust has been well placed.
1: Yeah. So your own faith and prayer life—you are bringing that to bear. And uh, do you feel comfortable going home from the clinic every day, or do you feel like you have to be a little more cautious? Or you're not sleeping well, on a camper in the backyard right now? Are you?
0: I actually—I haven't done that yet, but I do take—I uh, do wear separate clothes to work. I take them off after I get done and I uh, bag them. Um, and I, I kind of leave them at work there and uh, but every third day I bring them home and stick them straight in the washer so that uh, I try to decrease the amount of exposure I have to bring home. and uh, my family's been very
1: supportive so. Oh, what a blessing. What a blessing. Um, uh, Mr. Andrew Santos and, uh, both of you, if you want to weigh in as bishops, obviously we're each kind of concerned for our own flock and our own respective dioceses. And, uh, Omaha, uh, Bishop Luke, Archbishop Lucas has uh, gone ahead uh, with public masses and things. And, uh, wondering if, uh, that's something as uh, CHI, you're, you're looking at that, tracking that as one more instance where people are socially interacting, even if they're distancing as well, as well as possible. And, uh, you know, myself looking at uh, making those decisions, working with the infectious uh, disease people at Mercy here in in Des Moines. But uh, do, would you have any reservations, cautions, or things uh, as we do? You know, go back to worship together in in common. Uh, anything? You know, the, obviously the protocols for hygiene and things. But uh, would you, you have any reluctance or things that you would just want to bring to my attention as as a shepherd?
3: Well, I think, Bishop, that, you know, we have to take those uh, very important and necessary precautions, social distancing, cleaning, uh, you know, not touching your face, not not touching your hands, frequent washing of hands. Um, And I think if we can take those steps and take all due precautions, we are able to, I believe, begin to to bring people together um, within reason, of course. And so we, you know, celebrate Mass within our hospitals. That all stopped when various dioceses, of course, uh, put a pause on the celebration of public Masses in their church. And now as bishops are beginning to open up their places of worship and allowing us to go back to church to celebrate Mass, we're beginning to have those internal conversations right now within our various hospitals that as different dioceses begin opening up, will we be able to kind of uh, begin to have masks again on the schedules that we had uh, before the COVID outbreak? And uh, we might do that in certain areas, depending on the level of outbreak. We might do it only for staff initially before opening it up to the public, et cetera. But I think with wise steps and precautions being taken, um, we are beginning to have those very conversations also.
1: Okay. So it's, a, it's an ongoing discernment that I'm hearing for you as well. Yeah, Dr. Nowak, any any uh, yeah. counsel or observations?
0: Uh, certainly the, uh, as we get uh as the concentrations of people go up and uh, I think people are having missed the Eucharist in their life are going to flock back to mass with uh when we finally open the church uh churches um I think as long as people are practicing those social distancing washing their hands um we may need to you know make the pews maybe a little farther apart or encourage people to do mm-hmm. um you know, okay, apart and, and I'm sorry me. that
1: we're running out of time here, yeah. but I really want to thank both of you heartily for taking time with us. Andre Santos, Dr. Stephen Nowak, God's blessing on you and your work and mission. You missions. can
0: hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com.